0: Howdy, Garrick. Good to see you, buddy. Welcome to another episode of uh, Rapid Trails Podcast.
1: Yeah, welcome, everybody.
0: Today, we have, I'm just going to get right to it because I'm excited about this. We have a a good friend of mine uh, that I got to know at my time during DTS, Maxwell Thomas. He and I were in the same uh, cohort, one of our last last semester uh, with DTS, and uh, just got to know him, just an incredible guy, former pastor, a uh, heading overseas with an organization to the Middle East to work with refugees comes from an incredible uh, background and heritage of uh, missions around the world. And uh, so anyway, just excited to have him. Welcome. Welcome, Maxwell. And he's yeah. from, he's from Minnesota.
2: That's yeah. true. We don't want to leave yeah. that part out.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, Minnesota. No, no,
2: no. Minnesotans always want to be made sure that people know they're from Minnesota. Yeah. So, and,
1: yeah, and we I'm were sure before that. before the podcast. We we're talking about the great music scene that that Minnesota has blessed the United States with some great music from Dylan, Prince, down to bands like the Jayhawks, the Replacements. The Hold Steady is another band I love from with the roots in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So people people, I don't think give Minnesota its due, but music it's 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 a state that's produced a lot of great American music. So I'll just yeah. say that.
2: Yeah. Then thanks for having me on. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, man, it's good to see you. Well, you, uh, in addition to being the extraordinary, extraordinarily uh, talented person that you are, you also have a podcast upon this rock, which uh, I would highly recommend for people to check out. Uh, I've been listening to a few episodes lately. Um, We'll get into a little bit more to your podcast uh, in a bit, but uh, one of the things that so there's a couple of reasons when we decided to uh, do this conversation. Um, One, I've always so. For, for those back home who, who, or for anyone who, who might know me knows that from time to time, I enjoy throwing a lobbying, a little bit of a provocative grenade into uh, the middle of a
1: room. You uh, really yeah. never <laughs> never.
0: Uh, watch out internal conversations. Uh, anyway, so, um, Max and I played that role within our cohort and it was a lot of fun. I have a kind He is a very much a kindred spirit. Um, but, uh, Max, you a little bit of your story for the folk. Um, you are in Minnesota, of course, but uh, give us a little bit of your background and a little bit of your journey uh, for the last couple of years.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a, in a ministry family. Um, my grandparents were frontier missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Uh, my mom was born there. Two of my uncles were born there. And when they came back to Minnesota, they, uh, Southern Minnesota, they planted a church Uh, This was uh, the late 1960s. And so they planted this church and that's the church that I grew up in. And uh, he, when my grandpa retired, he passed the church on to my uncle, who's still the senior pastor now. And so we've had uh, 50 years of ministry and two pastors, a father and a son. And then back in 2012, um, when I was fresh out of college, I joined staff there. And so I pastored there for five years. It's a Charismatic Church, um, about four to six hundred is kind of where we the range in which we we stay in as far as size, um, non-denominational charismatic church. And so I pastored there for five years and then um, moved on into uh, missionary work in twenty seventeen. And uh, we've been mainly in a teaching role the last three years um, with a couple of different organizations. And then we're getting ready to leave overseas ourselves uh, a week from. Tomorrow of the time of this recording, anyway. So, uh, yeah,
0: it's pretty exciting. How are y'all feeling about the the big jump? I know it's been a long time coming.
2: Uh, yeah, honestly, ready. We've yeah. been, it's been three years. We knew when we entered admissions, we we're gonna have kind of a three year window of of uh, preparation. I was getting my master's program at at DTS. My wife was getting her master's program, uh, she or her master's degree. She was a re- registered nurse and wanted to become a certified nurse midwife. Mm-hmm. And um, so she just passed her national licensing exam like a month ago. And so she's all done now. And um, so we've been in prep mode for three years and then I've been doing some teaching in uh, some missions organizations. And um, but we're, we're ready. Honestly, it's the packing stinks trying to figure out what in our life can fit in these four bins and four suitcases mm-hmm. kind of sucks. If it was up to me, honestly, I'm sure my wife will listen to this eventually, and I'll, I'll apologize now. But if it was up to me, I would just leave it all, I would just leave it all, pack in a suitcase and just show up and buy new stuff. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> uh, so you can imagine how that goes in when we're trying to figure out what to bring, because my yeah. answer is always it's- just... Leave it, what, especially get a new one. especially with yeah. especially
0: with kids, right? We yeah, can't yeah, leave
1: yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, she's already. Yeah, in like, we can.
2: You know, she's already in like pre-nesting mode for <laughs> our new house when we get there, and um, so we're gonna end up with too much stuff, and we'll have to just throw it away there, you know, or give it away there or whatever. Oh, so, uh, but we're we're ready. We're we're. I don't know if we're gonna be good, any good at this. I don't know if it's gonna work. I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to learn the language. I don't know any of that, but I'm ready to try. Awesome. after, after a few years of preparing and praying and thinking and talking and scouting, I'm ready to go try. And, um, so I'm, I'm excited to get there.
0: Oh, that's cool. Very cool. Well, so I want, I want to get more into, you know, some of maybe looking forward to that and missions in general, but, uh, your, your grandfather, uh, when you told me the story of him and Papua New Guinea, it's funny. You say, oh yeah, they're, you know, frontline missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Like, no, like they were, like, they're kind of missionary legends. Like I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some some background to this: when Maxwell's telling me this one particular story, I remembered to a video that I happened to see, or no, I saw a couple of weeks later that basically had the disciples and followers of your grandfather's work and legacy. On right. this video for the International Bible Society, I mean, like this is this is a big deal, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so so tell us a little bit about that because I think it gets into say so, even some of our sh- subjects.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah. So today. they uh, he was a pre med student um, at Bradley University, felt the call of of to go into missions. So after four years, he he decided not to go into medical school, and um, he had met my went to Bible college and met my grandma. And uh, they then, they wanted to actually go to Africa. This is back when you had to like apply to a board and the board had to certify you and send you somewhere. So they wanted to go to Africa, but the board didn't think they would be good enough missionaries to make it in Africa. And so they sent them to the closest thing to Africa, which was uh, Papua New Guinea, which is a island in the South Pacific off of uh, the coast of Australia. And so they went um, pregnant and hid the pregnancy because they knew if people found out they were pregnant, they wouldn't let them go. And, um, uh, and yeah, 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 just (laughs) absolutely crazy. Uh, which Barry, you don't even know this. We just found out that we're pregnant with our four. No, did you really? Congratulations.
0: Congratulations. That's awesome. Are you you hiding that? Are you? No, no, no. no. It's out there
2: now. (laughs) It's it's out there now. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's at least a dozen people who listen to this podcast. (laughs) Right, right. So, a dozen
2: of you don't tell. No, no, we've told everybody, uh, at least uh, all of our immediate family, anyway. But, um, so, so I'm, I'm even thinking about this now a week from us moving, thinking about, oh, my God, if I had to keep a secret like this, yeah. that would be crazy. Mm. And then my, we were just talking about something last night. And my mom told me, I didn't know this until last night, that my mom was, was born over there. And they didn't tell anyone back home that they had had another wow. kid no over way. there. So they showed up. My mom was four when they moved back, four, four and a half. And they no no one knew that they had had a kid, and so they just get off the plane, and their parents are there waiting for them, and they have a fourth child, and this is the, their first girl. They had three boys, and then my mom, uh-huh. and so they just show up like, "Hey, guess what? We have a four-year-old. We have a four-year-old girl." Just, <laughs> oh my god! Just to, basically Different. just to play a joke on them is the way that my mom made yeah. it sound. She was like, just to kind of mess with people. So. My grandparents were not <laughs> all there in the most loving way. <laughs> uh, they're, they're crazy. But they, anyway, yeah, they, they go to New Guinea. And um, my grandma has a, there's something in pregnancy. I think it's uh, this is where I need my wife, I think called your RH factor in your blood. Yeah. Yeah. And this is now if you're, I think it's if you're RH positive, it's very dangerous for subsequent pregnancies. And mm. now you just get a shot and you're fine. Back then, they didn't have that, and um, so my grandma had that condition, and um, got pregnant and carried baby full term and whatever. So they did blood work on her and found found out that after, whatever her her blood actual blood type had changed in her oh, wow. body, um, not just Rh positive negative, but she had a completely different blood type in her body what? from her pre-pregnancy tests to her post-pregnancy tests. So um, anyway, so they live in a hut. They're out in in the middle of the jungle. They're in inland New Guinea on the side of a mountain living amongst cannibalistic tribes back in 1955. And um, they're kind of playing missionary leapfrog. So they kind of went and joined with the, the missionary family who had gone farthest inland to that point. And then they settled there and then kind of found, okay, what village are we gonna go to that takes it farther in essentially. And um, they end up meeting this tribal chief who uh, uh, gets saved and and converts and as a gift, gives my grandparents a piece of land on the side of a mountainous plateau of about 40 acres on the side of a mountain. And what he then subsequently told them is that land was basically disputed land in a battlefield between his tribe and their kind of like arch nemesis tribe who lived on the other side of that piece of land and um and they controlled at the moment so he as a as a thanks to introducing him to the one and true god he gifted the land to my grandparents and so they thought it would be a brilliant idea to move their white family with at this (laughs) two kids um (laughs) into the middle of a battlefield so they just turned this (laughs) battlefield into their mission station it's still there today and built a house there Uh, they lived their first three years there in a grass hut while he built a home by with his own hands and um, they planted a church and started a little mission station and they they spent 12 years there um you know they had to ford rivers and valleys and all that kind of good stuff so when when the baby was born she would, my grandma would get sent into the nearest town, which is a full day's journey. And um, every week my grandpa would send a native in to see if the baby had been born because they, he couldn't just leave the station all by, all by itself. And uh, so then when he found out the baby was born, he'd say, okay, go back and tell her I'll be there in four days and go get the baby. And they had a little like milk crate tied to the back of their motorbike and they would just plop the baby in there ride the motorbike through the jungle give it to the natives to carry it across the river and then uh that's how they had to you know get their newborn up to up to the station and whatnot so they they lived there for 12 years planted churches and uh yeah i mean they have we went there in 2015 i think it was now I'm, my mind is blank i think 2015 and um just to see the the fruit of their labor they i mean there's thousands and thousands of people now that kind of wow. trace their spiritual heritage mm-hmm. back to them and um yeah they're i mean they were kind of our heroes so then when they left the mission station they came to minnesota and, and planted the church that they grew up in wow wow
0: As, i mean That's, its i i have similar stories of of when we would have to fold down the the tray table on the airplane and the bassinet it was very similar yeah to yeah that. so you know, hard like, <laughs> and then you know we only got a couple of movies to work or my screen broke oh gosh, my gosh I, that was
2: internet, you, it was terrible you had I to mean, pay for the internet
0: yeah. we were like 10 hour layovers. I mean, it's just terrible.
1: Well, yeah. and then, and then like getting stuff back from Ikea was a real hassle. Yeah. So hard. Hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And That's never, never
2: a hassle for a Swede. It's only a privilege. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, they only took now, I think most missionaries take most of them take, I think a furlough a year. You know, they, they take a, you know, a small break. They only took one furlough in 12 years. And um, like I said, they, they came back one, one time. And um, he like, he had a, a brother that tragically died and he didn't know about it for, I think a year and a half, didn't oh, know that wow. his, his brother back home had died. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, but yeah, they were, it was, were, a, it was, uh, a, it was a different time, but I mean, yeah. different, Just time, a, different place, different. different, but I love that honestly. And I think, yeah. you know, I think we, I think we need to get back to some of that, um, yeah. that mindset of missions and that. Mm-hmm. style of, of missions where they lived among the people you know they they spoke the language they lived in their huts they ate their food um, they kept themselves to the same rules they weren't viewed as better one of my to me one of the crazy stories that I grew up hearing is so they they got this dog and then they bought a bunch of chickens and turkeys to keep on the mission station And we're going to give them to gave some to some natives to try and help them raise them for food. And, and he told them, Hey, listen, if any of your dogs kill one of these chickens or turkeys, like we're going to have to shoot it. Okay. Cause like, we just bought these for everybody and whatever. Well, lo and behold, a week or two or whatever it was later, his dog killed one of the turkeys like his family dog killed one of the turkeys. And so he had to take his own family dog out of the house. With, wow, I think three, I think four little kids at that point because my mom remembers it and shoot his own dog just to show everyone I'm not above yeah. you. I, you know, and um, yeah, integrity. The, yeah, the humility and the integrity of, of, you know, going to a people, especially back then that are cannibals and sacrificing humans and um, doing all this, you know, there no civil, no idea that Western civilization even really existed. You know, they're still at that point walk around and basically completely naked and with, you know, stuff through their nose and their ears. And it's I mean, it's very superstitious and animistic religion and all this kind of crazy stuff. So, so to to humble himself like that is to me is is crazy. Yeah, it well, says
0: here's, a lot. Here, here's a little bit of a, of that grenade then, because this is, you know, one thing that we, we talk a little bit about on, on this podcast is the case. The idea that missions is a good thing um it's it's a flawed people we all make mistakes um we even bring our culture into it from time to time and we make mistakes um but we we can't not do that but it, it really makes the argument or even begs the question um because missions has fallen on hard times when you say we need to get back to that um what is what is it about or what do you think are the steps that we need to get back to and then why is it that well, I guess first let's let's ask this question: Why is it that people view missions of that day as so? Honestly, it's starting to be a little bit evil. Like people are looking yeah, back yeah. on it, going like it's colonialism
2: or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. And there's a, there's a connection. For, with colonialism, when you
0: tell yeah. that story of someone who you know you knew and you grew up with, and then your of course your mom grew up with and everything, and you've you've been back to Papua New Guinea, yeah, um, twice. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't seem very colonial to me. No. Um so wh- where's the tension or parse out some of the tension there? or I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um no, I I obviously there was speaking generally I think there's been a, some problems with colonialism, you know, in in western missions of trying to sure. you know equate, but I think if done right that that is isn't the case. The um to me, the, the issue of missions is simply, is simply this is if I wanted to, again, be if, if, so if I wanted to lob a grenade, I would say it's something like this, uh, that being a missionary is a chance to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yep. Me, meaning it's a, it's a very tangible and intentional way in which someone says, I will die to myself in lots of different external ways. Mm-hmm. and join myself to someone else, not for my sake, but for their sake. And that, to me, that idea of humility, of cross-bearing, of counting someone other than yourself as better than yourself for their sake, for their joy, um, to me, that is the essence of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, the case for missions is, and, and you don't have to, missions isn't the only way to do that. But missions, I think, is a very intense and intentional way in which someone can do that in a way that God does call some people to, to do that. It's to say, I'm going to forsake everything, um, mm-hmm. my own family, my own culture, my own food, my own you know, education, my own everything in order to serve someone else with no guarantee of return, with no guarantee of acceptance with no guarantee of safety in many, many times. And it's, it's the test of loving God and loving, loving neighbor in a very upfront intentional way that I think at least in the West in modern West probably makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, yeah. It,
0: it is in a lot of ways, giving up of all your privileges. Yeah. That is, I mean, it's Philippians chapter two, which is yeah, the yeah. ultimate, which, which the is the ultimate giving up of privilege. Um, but, it, it's interesting because it, in some sense, I think we've all seen this. Sometimes I think, and I think I'm guilty of this too, but we've gotten away from that too. Um, sometimes missions can be a means for self-fulfillment yeah. instead, oh, of, sure. and, instead yeah. of self-emptying. And it seems to me well, that even, even back in the day, so even during colonial times, if it was about self-fulfillment, that, that's when it goes off the rails. So if you're looking to promote kingdom here on earth, rather than, rather than the, the kingdom of God, um, it goes off the rails pretty quick. Cause but let's, just, let's just own that there's been lots of mistakes with that missionaries have made and terrible things and everything else. Right. But, the re, but the reality being is I, I love how you, you put that. It is the opportunity to be a Christ follower.
2: So, if I wanted to be really provocative to follow up on that, say I'm going to, we'll just keep a running toll, tally of grenades here. Okay? Ding. Two two Ding. grenades so far. I, I would <laughs> say something like this. Uh, and this is purposely being a little provocative here. But I think one of the things that we need to do is stop thinking about missions as a means to get people saved. Mm-hmm. And start thinking about it as, the task of being the body of Christ among a different people. And those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Salvation is God's work. Salvation is the spirit's work. It is not my task to go and save people. It is my task to go and embody the God who is and who has come into the world and then made us his body and made us his temple and made us his people as a witness to the nations that mm-hmm. this is who God is and this is what he's like and in and in and through that the spirit moves and breaks out and whatever and so you know one of the things i think we need to get away from is this idea is missions or missionaries are the people who go to get people saved yeah. and i think one of the ways in which we go off the rails is when we frame it in that way it becomes about numbers and tallies and transactions and all of that kind of stuff rather than a disposition of life of are you faithfully bearing witness to Christ in the midst of a people who are not your own and opening yourself up to the work of the Spirit in and through you and then let the Spirit do what the Spirit is going to do But the moment that missionary organizations start thinking about or missionaries start thinking about salvations in the sense of it's your this is your job Mm -hmm. to go and save people. You're just you've you've shifted the conversation into tell me how many you've saved. Tell me how they're doing. Tell me how you're growing. And it becomes almost this business like transactional organization Mm -hmm. where you're trying to meet a quota in people's minds of. Uh, are you have you fulfilled uh, my quota for us to continue to support you or or whatever whatever and i think you just you run into lots of lots of issues well i'll
1: I'll pull us back there on a little bit to, to move us into more you know presbyterian theology but we we have a saying in the presbyterian church of preach the the gospel in word and deed and the preaching of the gospel is is a it's a holistic event in itself. The, the preaching of the gospel is not necessarily meant to be directed necessarily. People come to faith through the preaching of the gospel in word and deed. There are people who come to faith because they see something, right? A community living out a certain way or people living a certain value, you know, like your group, the integrity. They see that integrity, the people living the gospel out, the kingdom out. Um, but also right. the preaching doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that that preaching is going – you know, into somebody and changing their life. no, that's the the word is prayer, the words of God, but the preaching is the announcing of the kingdom of God. it's It's a wider scope than just saying, you need to believe this um, to to be saved. it's so it does that. That's something that happens, but it's it's actually a bigger, a bigger thing that's going on there. It's the preaching in some way to all of creation that that Christ is King. And, and so that's, you know, which also some, there's, there's another thing there too, of what you know, have we, have we made the gospel into something that is just kind of a personal, friendly, nice thing, or, or are we talking about?
2: Jesus loves you kingdom? and have a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Which is, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. shots if fired. Can, <laughs> <laughs> if we can stab, <laughs> kill some sacred, sacred cows, uh, which, you know, isn't a horrible thing. It's true, but it's, it's not the whole picture, yeah, here which we're talking exactly. about is the cosmic, the cosmic Christ. Yeah, yeah. And that but, whether, whether, people come to faith or not is does not change the fact that when we say Jesus is King, we've done something, we've said something. Right. That is, that is important. Yeah. I
0: think we need, I think we need a, I don't know, a missiology or a definition of, maybe a de- definition of success that, that works in all times and all circumstances uh, yeah. no matter the fruit. Um, and by fruit, I mean, number of souls um, because you know, I, Before moving to Sweden, I lived in Central Asia and North Africa. Um, One year very early on in in Central Asia, um, I was involved with a team that 99 people came to Christ that year um, through that particular team, if we're counting, you know, conversions or whatever. Um, I have not you know i haven't met that number <laughs> in 13 years in sweden i joke with garrick that i have more influence in the short time that we've done this podcast than i've ever had in 13 years of being in sweden um so the, and and i'm not i'm not i don't want to i'm not trying to move the goalposts i think what i'm coming to is i had an insufficient means for for measuring what i was doing yeah um, I, and i wasn't aware of it so I would have always said, oh, no, it's all about faithfulness or it's all about, uh, you know, following Christ and everything else. But in in the recesses of my heart, what was really driving me was I, I need to see, I, I long to see people converted. I'm, I'm changing. I do long to see people come to Christ and to know Christ. But what's qualitatively changing in me um, is that sense of no? Actually, I'm called to live out Christ, to proclaim Christ, and at the end of the day, what whatever re- quote unquote results um, get tallied up, that's up to God because I can't I can't control that, and I spend a long time trying to control that, um, and that that seems to me maybe a a, a um, missiology that is uh, that's probably not the right word. What, what's the right anyway? Th- that's a lot more God honoring rather than rather than numbers driven but it's interesting to me because while not all of america is would embrace a a theory of church growth it seems like it's made its way into so much of what we do you got to be able to measure it you got to be able to and i don't know i'm i'm this is maybe me deconstructing a little bit i'm starting to have a little bit of a problem with it it's starting to make me more and more uncomfortable
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think for sure. And I think that w- another kind of part of this is we, you know, if we've said, hey, is, is it the j- missionary's job to go and save souls? And even that phrase to me misses the point entirely, as if it's only a person's soul, whatever right. even somebody means right. by that, yep. that needs to be saved. And yep. it it completely misses the idea that we're we're meant to, and this is kind of what I was. The other part that I was alluding to at the very very beginning, I think we've really missed the mark on what it means to be incarnational. What it means to to be the body of Christ. We've made that into this generic metaphor about my gifting and your gifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when when Saul is persecuting the Christians, and Jesus shows up on the Damascus road, he says, why are you persecuting me? There was, Mm -hmm. Jesus had such an identification with his his people as his body that he said, when you touch their physical body, you are touching me Mm -hmm. because they are my physical body. And we've missed that incarnational piece, I think, a ton. We've made it about souls, which again, I don't even know a lot of times what people mean by that. I don't know if maybe they know what they mean by that. Um, But so there's, I think there's lots and lots of of issues going on there. But yeah, I think another one is this kind of business-like mindset in the American church where everybody's got to be growing and improving and we got to be gaining influence on social media and we've got to do bigger and better. And we've, we've always got to be pushing the envelope here and, and whatever. And I, yeah, I think that's a really, really poor way to think about ministry in general, let alone missions.
0: Yeah. So I want Mm to, I want to run something by you guys. Um, It's been bothering me a little bit yesterday. I went on a run yesterday afternoon. I threw in a podcast of a a really well-known leadership podcast, Christian leadership podcast, and had on a, uh, a guest who is the head of a, church planting organization that's very influential, huge church planting organization. And, and uh, they were kind of having this long discussion about um, basically what is the new normal going to be? What's the, what, what is the end of the, what's the future of the church going to be? How are churches going to make it? All of these other things. And I, Both of these men, I've heard them in other circumstances talk about Christ, and I know that they have meaningful relationships with him, but in the almost two-hour conversation that they had absent was, well, there were two things that happened. One, they talked about that during COVID, they've been more busy than they've ever been in their lives, and I understand that if you have, if you're trying to do things and you're trying to stay alive, and you're trying to meet needs, it does cause some sense of, okay, we need to pivot. We need to do things. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but one of the things that I worry about, um, the reason that they, the reason that they said that they've been so busy is because underlying everything that they said was this assumption that they needed to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. and it seems to me that one of the lessons that can easily sneak in, and, you know, we talk about the American church, but I see it. We see it here in Europe, don't we, Garrick, where it, it seeps into things where people tend to think, well, I mean, we're part of an organization that wants to see spiritual multiplication. Absolutely. We're all for that. From the goodness of that message, sometimes I think what we then incorporate into our lives is we assume if it ain't growing exponentially, it ain't worth it. And I think that there's a danger yeah, or, so,
1: or someone's wrong. Something's doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. which could, uh, certainly could be the case.
0: Yeah. Certainly could be the case.
1: But if but everyone the, is struggling.
0: Yeah. Or, or how do you, how do you measure, how do you measure? A, I think one of the things that I've struggled with is as a missionary, how do you measure the person who's never seen any fruit, but who's faithful day in day out? Like, yeah. like, are we really, is the assumption that they haven't been doing a good job? You know, I mean, like, I don't know yeah, if that's I, what we need to pay, the, the lesson we need to learn.
2: We need a fundamental, in my opinion, anyway, a fundamental redefining of how we define success and mm-hmm. what we view as, I guess you could say God's favor or blessing upon your life and ministry. Um. To me the the i mean there are two easy 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 examples in scripture the first would be mary who is outright called blessed and highly favored and yet her life looked like nothing that we would Maybe. call blessed and, and highly favored and she kept it hidden and quiet in her heart and in her soul for decades mm-hmm. and the blessing of God upon her life was, and a sword is going to pierce your side. Pain yeah. is going to pierce your side. This mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. blessing and this favor will end up in pain. And then that would lead to the second example, which is obviously Jesus. I, I think we have moved the cross out of the center of theology. Mm-hmm. And it to me, that is maybe the core issue of All of these conversations Mm -hmm. is should we expect or can we define success as multiplication when the one that we deem as most successfully following God, God in the flesh, if you've seen him, you've seen the father, all those types of things, ends up dead on a tree with everybody but a couple women and one disciple yes. next to him. And then when he rises, none of them actually believe it, except for a couple of the women. And they come, the women come back and say, "We the, the tomb is empty. And they still don't believe it, and two of them still leave and go on to the Emmaus Road. They literally don't believe the witness of the women. Um, they yeah. don't believe the, the resurrection has happened. And but so what does... What does blessing and favor and God's hand, and even, dare I say, the work of the Spirit look like when we put the cross cross and resurrection at the center of all of our theology, of our personal Mm -hmm. life, of our ministry, of our mission? What I think it would fundamentally rearrange a bunch of the ways that we think about it, and we would stop asking, am I growing? to am I, like Paul said, am I caring about the death and resurrection of Jesus in my body for your sake? And if I'm (laughs) doing and if I'm doing that faithfully, then isn't all the rest of it the Spirit's work? And it's not that we I think need to be anti growth or anti multiplication or anti big. It's just to say that can't be the metric of success yeah. because if it is then Jesus doesn't meet that qualification and his mother doesn't meet that that qualification. Yeah. And most of the yeah. church in human history doesn't meet that qualification. And when as soon as we say that we cut our own legs out from underneath us because the only reason we're here having this conversation is because all of those people, you know, like we were all unreached people at one point who only are here because of the faithfulness of someone else who went to a people who were not their own and faithfully declared that Christ is King and embodied it. And here we are. So then for us to turn around and say, to use a metric that would disqualify basically all of them. It It would
0: disqualify all of Hebrews 11 and 12. I mean, we have disqualified, well, <laughs> right. so like, much. like, I mean, yeah. it, would, it would, yeah, I think, I think that's where I struggle. And again, I'm not saying we don't think uh, multiplication wise of, of, hey, don't just think about addition. Don't just think about all, I think all those things are, are good or don't think strategically. I, hey, look, think strategically. But, but I think in so much of that, I was thinking this week, sorry, I'm having a hard time of putting it, but I was thinking this week of, you know, you just had this Hillsong pastor in New York who just fell into, you know, sin. And, you know, I expect that in a couple of weeks there'll be someone else who, who that happens to it. I was, I was texting with um, actually a friend who's been on this podcast, Michael Medital, and Michael made the comment, when will we learn um, that the, um, that, that fame and fortune are, Are terrible masters Um, that there seems to be such an easy means to falling into building my pride and, and my, my kingdom when we're seeking, when we're seeking growth, you know, like where, sure. This isn't to say that your grandfather was a perfect human being, but he, he was, he was content with, Moving to a place to make Jesus known, and sacrifice everything without a promise that this was going to go well. (laughs) Well,
1: there's there's a there's a question there, and and then Barrett, which is when did this happen?
0: When did how does how
1: does this happen? This move to Mm. numbers, metrics, celebrity to some degree, because you know if if you were a missionary in the you know 40s, 50s, you just went off. I mean, I, I understand that there were. Throughout history, throughout you know, even colonial history, there have been some you know famous missionaries, right? But but they were never you know they were never on the same level as like some of the pastors, some of the people we have moving around in global Christianity today. Which there's there's a lot of you know let's be honest power, there's a lot of influence, there's a lot yeah. of so the, so the question is when 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 is this shift or is this is this a cycle that happens occasionally? You know, we're we yeah. talking about when we go back to the the monastic movement trying to move away from the acceptance of Christianity as the state religion of the Roman empire and people going, wait, hold on a second. This used to be this little thing over here where we really were focused and now everyone's coming to church. I'm, I'm going to go off into the desert. And, you know, so is it that, or is, is something happened sometime in modern Western modern American history even uh, at causes this shift that now we have, you know?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, my first thought to that would be, Probably a little bit of different events, depending on maybe where you are. But what came to my mind is, is, I think underneath all of all of that, whenever that shift happened, and we can toss out maybe a couple of ideas, but I think underneath that is, specifically, I'm thinking in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is constantly, constantly coming up against the Spirit of Mammon and mm-hmm. and riches in specifically in that yeah. gospel riches and power are and how they're linked together they're they're viewed in a negative light in every single instance in the gospel of luke except for i think zacchaeus zacchaeus is the only one who and he was and then is he his story kind of gets flipped but otherwise it's an, it's a an, anything jesus has to say about money or mammoners in the gospel of luke is always negative and i think one of the things that luke is doing is trying to point us to the fact that mammon i think is one of the great enemies of god and mm-hmm. i think in his gospel might be the enemy of christ and even even over and above caesar because who is caesar ultimately serving he's serving spirit of mammon who has made him rich and powerful and what do i have to do to hold on to my riches and my power so even caesar is serving mammon Mm. and i think in every time and place and culture and people that spirit tries to seep in and and probably take on different shape and form but it's all the same it's all the same seduction and it's in again in luke's gospel and as was in matthews as well it's one of the the basic temptations of jesus i will show you all of the kingdoms of this world all of the things that they have to offer and if you will only go about it in a non-cruciform way in a way that does not entail death and resurrection you can have all of it and it's the i think in that case it's the that was the temptation of the spirit of mammon and I think that has largely seeped into the church in our day and age in terms of social media and kind of the the megachurch, growth church model and all of the things that we're talking about. It's it's rooted in much of it. I don't wanna say all of it, but much of it I think is rooted actually in the spirit of mammon that says, success equals rich, fame, power, and all of the things that go with it. Mm -hmm. And what I would wanna say is jesus categorically denies that and actually flips that on its head and says you can't serve god and mammon because mammon will never take you to the cross and that's the only place that you can that you can follow me to is to death and resurrection Mm -hmm. and um and and mammon is will never take you there well you'll never get there if you're following the spirit of Mammon."
0: so that's i think that's a fantastic point because if that's true then you can follow that that arc throughout church history and it rears its head in in different forms. So it rears its head mm-hmm. with with you know corrupt popes or corrupt Constantine and yeah Constantine yeah. or you know the Borges yeah name name your name your denomination or whatever else. But that and name your you know it doesn't matter name your movement. But that will always rear its head. Then one thing, and I'll just say one of the ways then in which I think it could potentially raise its head is the American proclivity proclivity to marry itself to business and building. So that that serves then that sense of mammon very easily. Uh, taking business principles, applying to them to the church. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that it becomes a very difficult thing. Okay, so I, I'm half processed with this. Um, I don't want to get too many emails of people, you know, mad Here, at send, me. For,
2: send your emails to me. I think <laughs> using a business model in the church is <laughs> an awful idea. You can send your emails. <laughs> yeah, actually, honestly. It's, no, it's a very normal. American. The,
0: the, the, yeah, it it
2: is. and
0: But but it's getting, that, the, the, the thing is, the thing is, sorry, the thing is, is it's getting exported
2: everywhere. Absolutely it is. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah. It, and Unfortunately, from from pastors that I'm seeing in very small churches, I'll just say within Europe and specifically my context of Sweden, there are a lot of them who are being lured in by that message and going, okay, this is what I've got to do to grow my church. They seem to be most
2: preoccupied with growth and in a business
0: kind of sense. Right. That, that worries me.
2: And businesses exist for one thing, to make money. Yeah. And so who, and we, I mean, we all recognize this with corrupt big companies. Oh, no, 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 businesses
0: exist. Businesses exist exist to be there for me during COVID. I've seen the commercials. I know exactly.
2: Right, right. Sorry. uh, Yeah, right.
0: They know how I feel. We're in this together. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. They answer my phone making, call
2: and are happy to help right yeah, away. Exactly. It's just incredible.
1: Now they're making the world more diverse. That's what business is. Yeah, oh, making.
2: that's right. That's right. And they're making the world more diverse. <laughs> but, I mean, we all recognize this with these different. big companies who serve their shareholders before anyone else because that's how they make money. And because that's what business is for. And so the reason I think taking a business model and applying it in ministry is a bad idea is... You just from the word go, you have set yourself on a trajectory that says growth is what matters because that's the thing driving that business model because that's what they are after. Rather than, again, I think coming back to my original point, rather than taking the cross and resurrection as your model, so to speak, and saying what would be the best way for us as a people to demonstrate the loving kindness even unto death and resurrection of Jesus to those that most need it in and around me. Those are just two fundamentally different paradigms in ways that you would do everything.
1: Well, because, I mean, let's be honest, the strategic plan for rolling out Jesus would not have involved a basically unwed teenage mother. It would not have involved a bunch of fishermen it would not have it. I mean, now it, what's interesting Fishermen, is in the gospel, tax
0: collectors and zealots. Yeah. Yeah. But what's yeah. interesting
1: is that those, those people do intersect in, you know, so there's, there's room. So I want to be careful because there's room at the table of the gospel for the businessman. There's room for the, the multimillionaire. There's all that's there, but I think it, it, but it's through that filter of the cross that, that people are, are forced to come and and, and, and struggle and f- with that. Cause it's not easy, you know, but that filter, Forces us to leave things behind, um, and give up things, and and really get get on our knees at the yeah, end, or get on our get on our face really at the end of the day yeah. and say here I am.
2: And uh, Jesus does tell them though, and I, yeah. I really don't think we take this seriously enough. He does tell them it is difficult for yeah. a rich man to inherit the kingdom. He doesn't say mm. that about anything else. There's yeah, nothing else in Scripture that he says. Here's the people that it is really hard. For them to inherit and that's just not get into heaven that's be able to perceive and participate in all that god is doing in the world and it is hard for them to to be able to inherit it it's hard for them to be, and and they walk away right and go well geez if it's that hard who can be saved i mean they they hear jesus's words in and again this is luke's gospel and go well if that's the case does do any of us have a chance and right. it, and what does Jesus say well with god all things are possible so there yeah. is hope but we do that doesn't negate the warning that for all of yeah. us to say hey listen if 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 your life in ministry and work and whatever else centers around financial economic power status growth you just have to be forewarned it is hard hard Not impossible because with God, all things are possible, but it's hard for you to cling to those things and the kingdom of God at the same time because because they are just at odds with each other. I mean, Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor. And again, in... In Matt, we always quote Matthew's version because he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," and that's nebulous enough that no one actually knows what it means, and so it doesn't force <laughs> yeah. us to. Whatever. Doesn't
0: offend anyone. <laughs> but in
2: Luke's, but in Luke's gospel, he drops the spirit. He just says, yeah. "Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God." And so, if you read that, if we didn't have Matthew's gospel and we just had, "Blessed are the poor," you would think it is better from just that statement. It's better that I would be financially poor than be financially rich, uh, rich because I can have the kingdom of heaven that way. Um, and that, I think we just really in our churches, the way we do ministry and just even the way we organize our, our personal lives and our families in the West, we really need to take seriously those ideas and the spirit of mammon and do some really deep reflection. Because I do think it has woven itself into the fabric of our being in, in more insidious ways than we yeah. Really even yeah, recognize. We, yeah. it's, it's kind of, I mean, do you make, make like a comic book reference? It's kind of like Venom, you know, uh, if you know the Spider-Man series, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. it's this other thing that has so woven itself into us that it's actually become part of us, and we don't even really fully recognize it until the times that it rears its ugly head, and which are, are things like you know, even this scandal where this rich and famous pastor seems at least to some degree was really high on himself and the fact that he was very rich and famous, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. And, and then you get this, you know, these big things, but anyway.
0: Well, so, so I think that what what you're talking about in some ways is what we talked about a few weeks ago, but it's this idea that we a certain amount of deconstruction, we were talking about this in the, in the pregame here, but um, a certain amount of deconstruction is necessary to our faith, that there's things that we all need to be let's say refining. So I, maybe refining, I deconstruction might not be the right word for it, but the the fact that we need to, we need to start taking apart some of the things that we, we just, we need to become aware of the water we're swimming in. A lot of times we forget how wet that water really is. And, and to, to, to begin mm. to, because I th- I think it, the, it's a hard thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do because like you said, it, like as you were saying, if you're rich, it's hard. The reality is, is we are all rich. If you live in the West, you're rich. Yeah. Um, and that should you, scare us. You may not feel it, mm-hmm. but you've just grown up in a system that's rich. And so, how does how do you how do you undo that? So part of it is this idea that certain aspects about our faith need to be constantly revisited. And in some sense, I guess maybe that's the role of the prophet. Um, but we don't listen to prophets. We don't like prophets. <laughs> uh, and so, so anyway, so all, all that to say, I do think we need to deconstruct, everyone needs to be in a process of reviewing and pondering and thinking deeply about their faith and then challenge, be challenged, put ourselves in situations in which are, are challenging. Um, and that's actually, in part where the role There's two things I'll say. I think that's the role of the missionary, and I think that's the role of missions. So that's one case that I would make for the role of short-term missions, is the idea of exposing you to something outside so that you you can begin to feel the wetness of water.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. There's um, I forget what book it's in. I think it's in his memoir, A Pastor. But Eugene Peterson, who I great book. Oh, absolutely love. Yeah, I think it's in that book. But he he draws on this scene from uh, the novel, Moby Dick. And so they're in the boat and the storm is raging and everyone is rowing and except the spearman is sitting calmly with his spear gun in his hand, waiting for the great whale to show itself so he can harpoon it, you know, the harpooner is just, and he makes this point in the book that that is what he, said is, is the role of the pastor, and I think what we would say here is the role of the missionary in that that person in that boat, although they were in the same boat and storm as everyone else, they were showing that it's possible to live by a different rhythm of life than everyone else. Yeah. Everyone else was running frantically around the boat because of the storm, except for one person who had his eye set on something that they did not and therefore was able to to push away the storm that was raging around him and live by what he was looking for. And I think that is kind of the, if if I could use this language, the prophetic role of the missionary Mm -hmm. is to show, especially in the West is to show people, it is possible to live in this world by a different rhythm of life in a different time, in a different way to have our eye towards the world with a different gaze so that we don't have to run the rabbit race of this life we can actually figure out what it means to serve our neighbor to love those around us and we're going to do it in this kind of extreme intentional way just to show that what it's like and to to be kind of an example of what that is like. And I think there is something true about that, both in missions. I would say actually, honestly, pastors have that same role in their congregation is that one of the roles of the pastor is to exemplify there's a different way to live in this life than the way that the world is trying to get you to live. And I'm going to try and model that for you, even if, because you're not in full-time ministry, you're a random person in the congregation, you can't do all the things that that I do because I'm in full-time ministry and you're not, but I can at least show you that it's possible and that you can reach for it. And then I can come alongside you and help you try and get there.
0: I mean, that that goes to something a lot recently that I have really been thinking about is that the, I think in this moment of chaos in the world, um, and I think this is the role of the church at all times, but this is the opportunity of the church is not to do more but to be a non-anxious presence in a world of anxiety that so we you know there's a ton of conversation about in in missiological literature about vuca world and that it's unstable and that we have to be adapting and changing and pivoting and all these different things and i agree to to many extents i've read the the literature but there's a reality that what that ends up doing in the average person is just produce more anxiety. and that well, doesn't seem to be to me to be quite Jesus. Jesus was calm in the middle of the storm. He was a non-anxious presence and I think that's what the church can bring, but so much of what we do including missions is we we're not bringing a non-anxious presence. We're not bringing peace. We tend to bring I'm not sure, but it's it's not it's not quite there, right? So there there needs to be exactly what you said. Uh, you you're yeah.
1: pointing out in the middle of the storm. Just just a sidebar on VUCA because I think it's it's over overplayed as a as concept because VUCA is a military concept that when you go into a battle, the battlefield changes immediately. It's not, and and then it's applied to business because business is. But I would say that actually we're in a less VUCA time than most of the history of the world. We we have we have incredible stability. We have incre- we 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 put we we it took us nine months ten months to to produce a a vaccine that will eradicate it, probably eradicate a, a global pandemic. We're so so yeah, things change, but the the our the history of our world has been a much more unstable and chaotic world than now. We have we actually have quite a bit of control over things, and things are fairly. I mean, I, I know if I keep investing in my four hundred and one k, I can pretty much plan out how much money I'll have. That's people haven't been able to do that most of history. So, so I, I, I that's where I take issue with the whole VUCA thing. It's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't fit within the context of where we're really going. It's, it's a, it's a military concept and which has value. But
2: yeah, well, yeah, like there would be a whole conversation of is a military paradigm the greatest yeah, exactly. paradigm for people who are called to love their enemies and not kill them. Exactly. You know, yeah. Um, that,
0: that, that's something that re- reveals to be a um, where a lot of our idols are. It's something yeah. I've noticed recently. It's um, a culture's, a culture's idioms and a culture's uh, metaphors will reveal a lot to you about the way that culture thinks. Um, I was in Portugal recently and had this long discussion with, um, the national director of our organization in portugal and and he made he had an idiom in which he was basically saying we were just really struggling we didn't know what to do and he said we were out at sea navigating by the stars and i was like Hmm, portugal is the the discovery nation this dude has probably not been on a boat in recent memory (laughs) but yet right or but it sets (laughs) in that everyone in portugal knows exactly what that means and feels it within their bones and uh and and so that reveals you know that's again this goes back to a couple weeks ago uh and i might have even said this to you maxwell with the the uh, Afghan guy said to me one time, "Learn another language, earn another soul." That in a language, so much more is communicated about a people than just words, and um, and and that is part of that goes to that whole incarnational thing. But there is the reality that, yeah, the idioms that people use, right? And we we use a lot about war and sports and my kids don't get sports analogies because in Sweden people don't use sports analogies for the most part. Right. I mean, so it's just a, that's a fascinating thing as well. Yeah. So war is probably not the best place to get all of
2: our lessons. No, and nor is probably, there was like a Sunday school song that I learned growing up. The, uh, was like the army. I think it was called like the army of the Lord or something yeah, like that and yeah. we're all in the Army I can't remember the how the the melody goes and how the tune goes but and now that I've grown up I'm like is that what I want to be teaching my kids is <laughs> you're basically a soldier in the army and then especially in a a country like America, that's basically a militaristic empire around the world. Well, It's Um, hard, right? Because Paul,
0: Paul has his fair share of military analogies. He says a soldier doesn't get in entangled in the affairs of everyday life. And, you know, so he, there, there are these analogies, this common parlance that he brings in. So I think it's okay. I just think, you know, we want to be be careful. It does reveal something. Um, And
2: he was also saying that as a Jew who not as a, I mean, he was a Roman citizen, I guess, but he was saying that as a Jew who was on the uh, the other side of that, you know, we're saying right. that is, it's different when, uh, when a Hebrew says that than when an Egyptian says it. Yeah. And, you know, Americans are more Egyptian in the sense that we're the we're the rich and the powerful and the one with the most guns right. um, around the world. So it's, yeah, it's a little different, but yeah. Mm. No, I, yeah, I think there's, there's place for it. But the fact that we do in America conflate patriotic and religious and militaristic language so easily and so frequently, um, it is kind of terrifying.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's been a, that's been a challenge to me in recent years of, of uh, a little bit of deconstruction of that, of realizing how much I just all of that filtered through me or all of that went through me without filtering it through. What do I, what do I mean with that? What do I, what does that tell me about that? Um, James K. Smith is actually really good at pointing out some of this of the the liturgy of our everyday life. Uh, he's really good about pointing out the way that it forms us and and everything else. Um, yeah, his book
2: uh, "You Are What You Love" is like the, yeah. the popular level version of it. I think it's um, desiring Charles the Taylor. kingdom. Is the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or desiring
0: the, the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: it says that's the one you probably read because I didn't think we had to read that for for school yeah
0: i've actually ended up reading everything that smith has read since i read that one because it just hit me hit me so hard but yeah yeah uh, imagining the kingdom is uh,
2: he overplays his hand a little bit but it's a great book
0: yeah he leans also a little bit too much on Sorry, we're getting into like a book review. The total uh,
2: the total weeds.
0: Yeah, one of one of the yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the weeds, everybody. One of the things that concerns rabbit me. Trail. It's a yeah, trail. one of the things yeah. that concerns me about Smith is that, and in in some of those books, is they put a lot of faith in um the liturgy to save us. The practices. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, well, no, I mean, those are really good, and we need to get back to some of those, but church had a problem you know, while. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I think one of the things that he's doing is he's making things fresh for, for people who haven't seen it in that way. So he's helping see oh, but, people see things with a new lens.
2: Well, for someone like me who grew up in a non-denominational charismatic church, that was very kind of like low church, you know, didn't, yeah. doesn't do communion every week. Didn't know what the word sacrament went meant. Yeah. Um, you know, all of that kind of doesn't follow the church calendar doesn't have public readings of scripture like none of that kind of stuff did you my... did y'all
0: refer to seminary as cemetery
2: oh for sure i grew up for so sure. I, grew up a,
0: I grew up in a charismatic yeah, yeah, yeah. non denominational church
2: for yeah yeah I, I have well, a whole podcast college, episode so. i have a whole podcast episode on oh, that's right that's on right. that yeah, yeah yeah where we need to stop saying that we're not theologians and that seminaries are just where you know Christians go to die in their yeah. cemeteries. yeah uh, yeah um but yeah, no, for someone like me who grew up in that context, having someone talk about liturgy and practices and yeah, as formative and as powerful and as something other than what the dead Catholic mm-hmm. or Lutheran church down the street does every week, you know, as you know, it compared to what we have because we're the Spirit-filled church kind of right, idea right. where those are pitted against each other. It was life-changing for me. Honestly, that book is yeah. one of the, the ten most important books i've probably read my entire life yeah because it opened up a whole world to me about and kind of deconstructed all of those kinds of things for me and i think there's a movement around that kind of going mm-hmm. going on especially among young people wanting to to rediscover kind of a an older faith a more ancient expression well so it's faith.
0: interesting so here, there are two phenomenon that that I've seen here in Sweden. Um, among there's there's two levels of church. There's the kind of Lutheran state church, um, and then there's the um, which is a fairly liberal or not fairly. It's 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 <laughs> let's just say left of left in America <laughs> for the most part. And then there's and then there's the free church, which is uh, by and large um, evangelical but Pentecostal. Um, expression. And interestingly enough, right now, among Pentecostals in, in Sweden, there is a Pentecostal charismatic, there is a move. A lot of people are moving towards Catholicism, Orthodox, or um, Jewish roots. And the way that I see it is it's, it's so far removed from a heritage that people start to go, well, who am I? The, the other interesting that's happening among secular people in Sweden is there's a resurgence in pagan practices. Mm-hmm. So are... There, there are small groups of people who go out to the forest where they held pagan rituals for centuries, and they're re-performing those rituals. So they, they get together and they perform perform a ancient pagan rites. Symbol. And I, I talked with some, cause we happened to be out of this one area uh, one day when, when some people were coming out there to kind of, they do these like dress rehearsals. So they dress up in Viking clothes and go out there and they do these things. And so I asked, them, I was like, why are y'all doing this? Do you believe it? No, but, but I have to, f- ha- we want to have a sense of who we are and that's actually one of the things that secularism cannot provide is a sense of who we are but it's also kind of what we were talking about in pregame what is a pitfall of a church that is disconnected from the hall of fame of faith right so yep. disconnected from a sense of itself that that if we're if we're not connected with with the history of the church and the struggle and the the beliefs and everything of the people, the community of faith, that we start to go down a trail and not have a sense of who we are. And I actually really mm-hmm. I felt that growing up, and it wasn't until college that I
1: became aware of something different. Because you would never say the Apostles' Creed, right? That would be a, I never that would heard, be something. I yeah, never you never heard, heard the Apostles' Creed or the yeah. Even though yeah. that that's something that yeah. Christians have been saying for yeah, you know, right, yeah,
0: right. No, I mean, I mean. Schofield notes. I knew because in the first few years of my life, we were, we were in uh we were in a Baptist church, right? So my faith is based
2: on nothing that, less, but Schofield and that notes and scripture press. And that Nikolai Carpathia was going to be the antichrist. That's right. yeah that's <laughs> right yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, man. That, right. the left behind series. That was, that was Bible study action. You know, I, mean, I was in it. I was in a church last week, uh, and a random church that I didn't know, and they had a little library. And anytime a church has a little library, I always like try and break into it and snoop around because I think you can learn a lot about a church from what church the <laughs> library shows. And they had the whole Left Behind series there, and I was there like, "Yeah, I just had like shudders go down my spine, to, like <laughs> like I don't." I don't need to go anywhere near those. No, thank you. I've, I think, I've, I don't
0: know if my mom listens to this podcast, but I think she probably still has them on the bookshelf at home.
2: But oh, so, so yeah. but here's, an,
0: here's an interesting thing about construction, deconstruction, or even heritage. <coughs> here's what I would say. Um, I would disagree theologically with some things that my mom would hold very dear uh, these days. Um, but these days I was, I, I grew up with it, but I have never met a woman who had more faith in Jesus than than my mom. Like so and I can hold those two intention. And yeah, unfortunately true. I feel like even with this whole missions thing is it good is it bad? Can we just hold intention the fact that there's flawed people trying to follow Jesus? Like like can yeah. that just not be something that we can fully embrace but somehow we have this picture of that if it if it ain't perfect it's wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah and we, and that we is, can't accept it rather it's unacceptable.
2: Yeah and and one of my fears honestly among this kind of seeming pendulum swing back to some of the more ancient practices is now you I hear some people pointing back towards like the charismatic church from which they just left and saying all kinds of nasty things about them because they don't do this that or the other and it's like okay well maybe and I do have issue with some of that but I also have some issue with stuff on the other side here too and can't we yeah, can't we have some constructive conversation around some of those issues without people pulling out their swords and or calling the other yeah. one a liberal or a heretic, which is their synonyms yeah. for most people, you know, at least in my world. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's it's sad, but I I, I I do think there is something powerful about trying to rediscover or be connected to something much older than yourself and your current environment. And there is a, a grounding element to that um, and a stabilizing, especially in some uncertain times um, to be able to, to lean on something other than yourself and your yeah. own personal faith. And there's just times like I, my personal faith isn't there for me to lean on. Yeah. And yeah. I need something other than myself, something tested and tried to, I mean, so we uh, we were talking a little bit before we were were recording, but my wife and I, the first missions organization that we joined, we were abruptly kind of asked to leave six or seven months after after joining and but during our transition time out, I was still having to kind of show up to the office, and this was one of the hardest things, two or three hardest things I've ever gone through in my life of being kind of said uh, this is not the place for you. You should probably find somewhere else after we had just gotten there. And I mean, my, fa- and it was over issues of faith. It was over theological issues and ones that I didn't feel like I could compromise on. And so it was a, an actual moment in my life. One of the few moments in my life where my faith, it felt like actually cost me something that what I believe to be true about who God is and what he's like actually cost me something very very dear and meant a, we had to pay a very high price as a family and with kids and all of that kind of good stuff and in that moment for probably two or three months i didn't have any words to pray of my own and so i a, a pastor friend of mine had given me this kind of prayer liturgy that he had, that he had written it, it took about 45 minutes to pray through And I had just mem—I ended up just memorizing most of it, and I just prayed that rotely, like just word for word, every day. And if I had more time, I would just pray through it multiple times a day because Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything in myself to to lean on in that moment because my heart was just so was so shattered. And that is, I think, one of the the beauties of trying to connect people to to some of the more ancient practices and traditions and why they form us is they save us in moments like that because there's yeah. something, they're an anchor that goes deeper down into the ocean floor than whatever waves I'm feeling in the moment. And it can keep me steady until that storm passes. And eventually it did, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's I think. So that's an interesting thing is the, the, the need to stay connected to a community of faith in in the midst of all of those. and. It, you know, okay. So let's let's we're we will quickly point someone who's struggling to a book on apologetics or a book on theology that answers their question, but we're we're very reluctant to give them a prayer that someone prayed who's been in the same situation.
2: Yeah, I I just read a buddy of mine. He sent me this little prayer book that he uses from like an, an Orthodox guy, and um, he just sent it to me to to look at. And in the introduction. This guy, this Orthodox, um, I think monk, but it was, is saying why he wrote the book, and he has this opening line. I wish I had it on me, but I and I don't. But the uh, one of his opening lines is, "It's uh, the best teacher is one and the only teacher worth anything." Basically, was his point is the one who, and this is the phrase that stuck with me, who gives his students both practice and form mm. by show by showing yeah. it to them. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you just as someone who has grown up in the church, and then now someone who pastored for five years primarily college students, and then has taught the last three years in mission schools around the country. The the desire of most young people that I know that grew up in the church is they want to learn to pray, yeah. they want to learn to read the Bible, they want to learn to they have they have genuine sincere desire to to follow god the failure of the church in most of their lives is no one has showed them how mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. gotten up and this is and I'm guilty of this is we have gotten up as pastors and preachers and teachers and said you need to pray every day you need to read your bible every day cuz they're like the flintstone vitamins that make you healthy right you need to do all of these things every day because this is what it means to follow jesus you need to have your quiet time your devotionals we have all these these Kind of little catchphrases that we use to describe you need to give and tithe you need to witness to your friends and if you don't wait or at least bring him to church with you if you're too scared to witness we'll witness for you just bring him and let you know let him sit next to you but almost no one young person that i've met in the last almost 10 years of being in full-time ministry has ever told me the story of, yeah, I was young growing up at the church. And when I was in high school, I had this person who took me to their house and showed me how to read the Bible and gave me prayers to pray and showed me how to actually do this. And then let me join them for a year. And I got to just pray with them. I mean, that's just not the story of anyone. And we've just told them, this is what you need to do. Go lock yourself in a room and come out a fully right. formed christian on the other right. side
0: or even not just lock yourself in a room but go figure it out on your own and then yeah, yeah, and that's then, and then, and then it somehow out. pastors end up believing uh, there's um do do what's his name uh, mark sayers out of australia recently said i wonder if i've become a a, a um oh a, a i can't think of the name of a uh, uh, never mind <laughs>
2: We're gonna have also, to edit this. <laughs> I've completely, completely, I've completely, completely lost, lost my, well, lost my train of thought. It, so here's, here's a fact. We love, you know, most chaplain. We, that's the word I'm looking. Okay, for. we love the Lord's prayer. I always heard the Lord's prayer taught as kind of a a model, but not as something that you actually pray. pray that's, yeah. that's what Catholics and Lutherans largely do, right? Yeah. And it's dead religion and whatever. Right. right? And so we would pull these theological points out of the Lord's prayer and then tell people, okay, well, well, there you go. Here's the great theological point about God being our father. Now just go pray to your father. Completely missing the fact that when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, he doesn't give them a theological teaching on prayer. He says, you want to learn how to pray? Pray this, Mm -hmm. and he gives them an actual prayer to Mm -hmm. pray and says, if you pray this, this single prayer will over time teach you all of those theological points that you're trying to skip ahead to, but it will in the process form you into the right kind of person that is needed to actually walk with God in the course of course of life yeah. and in our quest for, and in, I think, and I've felt this as a pastor, so I'm as guilty as this as anyone else in our quest for wanting to be deep or wanting to be uh, having some great revelation of theology to preach on and teach on, we've missed the simple point that when someone asked Jesus, how do you do this? He just gave them something to do. And so just do this, say this, pray this. And then when you come out the other side, pray that for the rest of your life and it will form you into that. And we need, I think, more churches and pastors and missionaries and parents to say, hey, kids, we're going to pray together as a family. And I'm just going to teach you three or four or five good, solid prayers that will stay with you the rest of your life and that will hopefully shape you and form you into something rather than it continue to remain this kind of nebulous, ethereal thing that I just know that I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how. And so I just get frustrated and I hate myself. And I think I'm a a bad Christian because I I struggle with it for my whole life. And then we wonder why 19-year-olds are walking away from the faith when they go to college. It's because they have they've just been told all the things that they need to do their whole life. And no one has actually shown them how, and then they get to college and they're still there. No one to show them how, but there's friends who will show them how to do all these other stuff, you know, and, um, and, and they walk away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, oh, Formation. Uh,
1: it's interesting.
0: <laughs> Cause I, 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 oh. I've been, go, How about it, Garrick?
1: We've shortcutted it. I mean, that's. I mean, even in our own organization, we said if you do these four things, where you study these four lessons, okay, now we're ready to go. And 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 uh, there's a beauty to it. I mean, I, I'm a, always a big fan of the Alpha Course because the Alpha Course takes people, and they they become Christians. And the next Alpha Course, they're leading a group. And the next Alpha Course, they're leading an entire course. And so we we put people into, and I, so I don't. I'm not saying we shouldn't get people going in their faith, but and maybe that's what you're saying, Maxwell's because that's, that's a, that's a form of like, well, here's how we do it. Just, just do it. You don't, there's no mystery to this, right? We trust God, we preach the gospel, we get together in groups. And, and so we're the training is in, is built into the system. And maybe that's the beauty of, you know, some of our our more liturgical and more, you know, structural uh, brothers and sisters in Christ is that they've got this thing built in to how, whereas we're trying to talk about some mysterious experience you're supposed to have, which, you know, once again, I don't want to get away from that either. Cause that's on that side as well. Uh, yeah. 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 But-
2: it's, 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 I heard someone say recently that our, our biggest problem and he was speaking just generally. He said something like our biggest problem after baptism is that we dry off too quickly and we need to, mm. we need to get wet again. And I kind of yeah. like that way of thinking about it. And he was kind of then made the connection of some of these practices are a way in which we can re-immerse ourselves in our baptismal identity and that we can get wet again so that we don't dry off as the wind of this world blows on us, Mm -hmm. that we can continue to be reshaped. I mean, in salvation, there's this mystery that we are instantly a new creation But there's also this mystery of we are not yet what we shall be, you know, those who who look upon him and hope in him, John says, purify themselves just as he is pure, because they don't know yet what we will be. So there's this we are instantly a new creation, and yet we are not that which we are ultimately meant to be. And part of I still these, haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah, and part of these practices is to say, we need to shape you and form you into someone that you are not yet fully in your, in your desires and in your heart and in your own thinking. And, and you need to come back to the cross every week, you know yeah. so that Fox News doesn't begin to disciple you more than the crucifixion, and so yeah. that CNN doesn't begin to shape your worldview about immigrants more than the baby in a manger who then had to flee to egypt like there's there's something that we need desperately especially in our day of content consumption we need to be continually renewed and transformed into what it is that we've become when we emerged from our, our our the waters of baptism
0: i was i was reminded this week of um my own need for that um I'm I'm really good at lecturing my kids. I'm not really good at having whole character and how much I need, how much my whole character, so the doing and the practicing and the yielding of my flesh to the will of God and the character of God and forming myself after Him would actually do a lot more in showing my kids and helping them do as well, right? So I can lecture them all day long. It's kind of like that preaching. It's lecture, let's let's put the information in instead of doing something and then inviting them into it to do it as well. Um, so because it's interesting, my kids have if, if we just take something like cooking, right? My kids have seen me cook Um, They watch cooking shows. They like to eat all of these different things, but it's not until they get in the doing of the cooking that they begin to learn it. And it's not until we get into the doing of being like Christ and we're inviting disciples into that. But if we don't have a formation that can teach them those rote processes, uh, the way that, uh, gosh, I'm dropping names like crazy tonight. This is terrible. You guys, (laughs) Uh, J.P. Moreland wrote a book called The Lost Virtue of Happiness, and in it he talked about the idea of um, creating um, creating, uh, basically righteousness in your body. And the way that he put it was think about, you know, um, golf flesh and right, and golf righteousness, that the idea if you want to pick up golf that you have to do practice over and over and over in order to get rid of the bad things within your body so that without thinking about it, you can create a good shot. And that's golf righteousness. And so you're 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 disciplining your body in order for a greater good. And that's kind of he goes back to the spiritual disciplines. Really, the book is about spiritual disciplines. But it's this idea of doing things rotely sometimes or or doing things over and over and putting yourself in that frame of mind in order to understand something. In the long run, if you're doing it well and with the right motives, it produces a godliness rather than. And that's Romans chapter six, it's submitting your mm-hmm. the members of your body to righteousness rather than to unrighteousness. And, and there's and, there's really something powerful with that.
2: Well, yeah, and then to connect it back to our previous conversation about how we define success and all of that kind of stuff. So when my grandparents were getting older, my, my grandma ended up, uh, she died in, in 2016, my grandpa died in 2017, the same two, the missionaries. And my grandma had uh, Alzheimer's and dementia for basically the last 15 years of her life for a, a long wow. time and so towards the last i think four ish years four or five years i think of her life it was starting to get a little bit hard on my grandpa you know they were in their in their 80s at this point late 70s and, and early 80s it was getting a little bit hard for him um, to take care of her and so one of the things that we did is my uh, immediate family my my uh, mom and and us four kids and then and then our kids every Saturday night we would go to my grandparents house and someone would be would uh, cook or provide a dinner and we would just go over there for two hours three hours and so he got a good meal and got to spend time with the family and he didn't have to try and get her out of the house to go somewhere and we could all kind of you know check on them and all that kind of good stuff and so we would spend every Saturday night together and it became part of our weekly rhythm, is that every Saturday night we were at grandpa and grandma's house and Wheel of Fortune would be on way too loud and the <laughs> thermostat would be set to eighty-four. And <laughs> you know, it just is what it is. And if you were to ask, if you would have asked me on any of those Saturday nights, is anything happening? I'd be like, uh, I wouldn't understand your question, I'd be like, No, we're just sitting here eating pizza or mac and cheese or whatever, watching Wheel of Fortune and And we are just hanging out and sweating and sweating. (laughs) And, and after my grandparents died, um, and we didn't have to do that anymore. It didn't take long for me to realize that something profound had happened to me on those Saturday nights, Mm -hmm. mainly that I'd fallen deeply in love with my siblings. Because we're, n- we, we're a kind of family, we don't spend a lot of time together. Um, we're just, you know, this is not who we are. We're not very quality time kind of type of people. And so n- no one's ever clamoring to like all go on vacation together or something like that. So this was the most amount of time that all of us had spent together in, under one roof in quite a while uh, at, since people had started moving and, and going to college and mm-hmm. all of that kind of good stuff. And so all four of us were there every week and our spouses were there and our kids were there. And specifically my younger brother who we get along just fine, but we just kind of grown apart and we don't have a whole lot in common. And I remember then in the weeks following after my grandparents' death, missing hanging out with him Mm. and missing hanging out with my siblings and kind of mourning the fact that, yeah, not only are my grandparents gone, I don't get to spend that time with Mm. my siblings anymore and this, I think is why we can't judge success in the way that we largely do is for five years, I didn't even perceive my own heart of what was happening. Mm -hmm. I didn't even I wasn't even self aware enough to perceive what was going on, on the inside of my own heart and mind until afterwards. And then I looked backwards. And I realized this whole time, my heart was changing and opening and falling more in love with my siblings. And and if I would have tried to short circuit that, or if I would have said, this is kind of boring, do we have to just sit on the couch every week? I mean, because some of the weeks were boring. It's like, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? We just sit there and eat pizza and somebody would leave early and what, you know, like it was just normal, normal stuff, what seemed to be normal life, but there was yeah. something much, much deeper going on. And I think about that story and, in connection to like the road to Emmaus, where these two disciples are walking with Jesus and then their eyes are opened later on and they look back and they realize, weren't our hearts burning within us the whole time? Meaning even as Jesus was opening the scriptures, they didn't perceive their own hearts. They didn't perceive what was going on on the inside of them. And this is why I think one of the reasons we need to give ourselves to incarnational life and faith and practices and missions and community. just in community and just pause for like a long time before we make any judgments about any of it. Because we just, we think we're really good at recognizing what God is doing in us and through us and in our midst. And I actually think we are awful at it. We don't recognize it at all. And that shouldn't, we shouldn't feel bad about that. The disciples didn't recognize it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They didn't recognize what God was doing. No one recognized it because what God is always doing in our midst is above all we could ever ask or imagine. It's always better than what we could dream. Yeah. It's always deeper than we could ever hope. It's always yeah. kinder than we could ever dare to think possible. And we 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 just don't perceive it in the moment. It's only after our eyes are opened, it's only after the death and resurrection. It's only later on that we look back and go, I see it. And he was doing it mm. the, whole the whole time. time. The whole yeah. time. Amen. And and we just can't rush that process. And we can't force arbitrary measures on everybody to say, by you know, year one, you should be here. And by year five, you should be here. And, oh, you can't do this yet. Or but like, we just... Or you're still struggling here. We just we got to get rid of I think all of that personally for people and for entire churches and organizations, um, and just let the Spirit do what the Spirit is. And and that, that doesn't mean that we can't have any measure of anything, um, but I, how we do it now, I don't think is honestly very helpful in many respects
0: well I, th- I think you 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 draw out in that example one very important point is that lasting life change happens often underneath the surface surprises us and it takes a long time mm-hmm. don't underestimate how long something is going to take and that's something that Garrick and I have felt being in Western secular ministry settings but how long, things take. And it's, we shouldn't be disturbed by that. It's going to take a long time. And that doesn't mean that in a place where it doesn't, where it does go quickly is better or whatever else. It just means we're in a situation in which it's going to take a long time, but it's, it's, it's worth it. Um, So interesting to circle back to the conversation about the, the leadership podcast I was listening to and what was absent. They were asking the question, are people going to return to church? And so they were kind of going, Hey, look, you've been used to now, you know, you used to drive an hour and a half to go to church and, you know, it was hard to get everyone out the door and now you can sit in your bed and for 45 minutes, you even skip the worship. You can go ahead and turn it on. You, you may not, you may not turn it on. Now they were just saying that you may not come back once you can meet in church. Now they weren't saying that that's good. And they weren't saying that that's how it should be. They were kind of saying, maybe we haven't been doing what we should be doing. So to their credit, I actually, interestingly enough, our church is about here in Sweden, it's a pretty big church is almost 500 people. And I think the majority of people will return because what makes the church great is the relationships that people have with each other because they recognize, I don't know any other believers. And this is the place where I go to find the Jesus people. And I think that's a really important thing for the church to remember is you can't create a program for that. You just got to give it time, you know, like, and, and how important uh, relationship and community is in developing people into Christ followers.
2: I, I remember us having some of those conversations uh, in the, the end of our last semester, Barrett, and some of our yeah. talking about things going digital and things going online and my cynicism and, was dripping. And both <laughs> of us were just so cynical and i think it's i mean i would double down on it honestly for exactly the reason that you said is what did jesus give us when he left he said this is my body and this is my blood and and what it means he gave us each other he gave us his body and his presence in his life in one another. And you just, he didn't give us sermons as great as they are. He didn't give us programming as wonderful as they are. He gave us a people to belong to mm-hmm. just, I am I, call me old fashioned, call me whatever. I don't think you can do that online. No. I just don't, I don't think yeah. it's possible. And so, as long as we are actually wanting to be the church, we have to meet in person yeah. because that's what it means to be the church is that we are different people from different places made into one new person, into one new body, all belonging to each other. And you, just, we can do it for a short period of time in crazy circumstances, whatever. It can't be the norm, though. No. It just can't. Yeah, I agree, Amen. Well, Maxwell, we've uh, we, we could keep going, man.
0: I mean, we this we're just getting warmed up, you know. How long's long gone? gone? I don't even know. I don't know. I, I I don't have a I don't have a clock, but we've
1: we've got it like, like an, an hour good. and a half. Yeah, you know, it's good, a good. It's good. It's good. Of like. uh, the 12, twelve people good,
2: who started listening. There's how many left? Three, one, is one over under, is My, over my wife. Three? My wife will eventually finish the podcast. She. It'll be our three wives. That's the wives. Yeah,
1: the wives. I think we lost the we lost the moms. Love you, Victoria.
0: oh man hey listen as you guys uh make your move to uh to to the middle east man uh we'll be lifting you up in prayer
2: Uh, i appreciate Um, it and it's, i'm bringing the podcasting gear with me so we can Oh great uh, well we should, oh, sweet. We should, yeah. we should
0: uh, do some catch up and find out what you're learning and uh, yeah. yeah do it again man this is this is a lot of fun
2: yeah,
0: check fun. out for those of us uh, anyone who's listening check out upon this cross
2: uh, upon this rock
0: did, upon this rock sorry upon this, upon this rock yep. well we talked so much about the cross i'm sorry i messed it up uh, my wife Just to be
2: mad cuz she came up with the name so. I think it's a great it's a name. Good name. I just oh, messed it up. On I mean, I haven't yeah, been yeah. able to think
0: of any names tonight, I have to tell her so that your you wife. Approve. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually listen to it. Uh, I listen to it quite often, actually. You know, it's fun because I, I find myself. I have to check with, it out. You're a kindred spirit with me because we've we've uh, kind of come from similar backgrounds and everything. So, um, really cool to do. So, check out the podcast, everybody. Uh, subscribe to it on iTunes. Leave a review. Do all those things. Actually, Maxwell does a kind of a digital mailbox. Leave him a voicemail thing. He's totally yeah. It's fun. He needs to teach me how to do some of this stuff. Uh, so anyway, check it out. Max, the Lord bless you on your way to Appreciate the Middle it. East. Yeah. We'll Thanks so much. For Thanks, Thanks for, for having me, for it. me, It was a lot of fun. Yeah.